be reading selections starting in Titus. Read with me, please. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, appearing of our great and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. From 1 Peter, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We are going to be all over the place. (laughs) So just kind of hang on and... uh... We'll be looking at some passages together this morning as uh, kind of a, a look into this new year and, and looking at the hope that we have. So let's just pray. Lord God, we <clears throat> continue in your presence here this morning. And we are so thankful for your word. Your word challenges us, encourages us, and helps us every step of the way. So this morning, as we Look at all of these passages. Help us to understand and help us to see the the things that you want us to see from your word today. Guide us, I ask, in your name. Amen. Please be seated. I want you to know we're going to look at a whole bunch of passages, and it's going to be more of a devotional look than an in-depth analysis of the verses. I'll, I'll give you the passages to take home and do that this week if you'd like to. Um... <clears throat> One of the things that's always fascinated me are the people who swim marathons. Not just run marathons, but swim marathons. And uh, one, for instance, is to swim across, this is the latest one I read about, was to swim across the English Channel back and forth four times without stopping. That's crazy. (laughs) That's 80 miles. Uh, Anyway, there are people who do that and and they enjoy it. And another place that people swim is from Catalina Island, in the Pacific to the California coast. And like I said, I'm fascinated with uh, people who have the ability and the willingness to do that. And <clears throat> I was reading the story of one of the one young woman who had made a m- number of other long swims but hadn't made this one yet. And the thing about that particular swim is it's a 25-hour-plus swim. Many times started in the middle of the night. And there's reasons for all of that. But uh, she started out swimming and and um, she got into about the 25th mile, and it had been dark this whole time, and then fog rolled in, and so when the sunlight started coming, she still could not see anything in front of her. She couldn't see anything but fog. And she started to get discouraged, and they tried to encourage her from the boat, and, you know, you're, you're almost there, just keep going, and finally she just quit. She got out. She was actually fairly close to her destination. But when they asked her why she, why she quit, and this is someone who has done this, those similar swims before, she said the reason that she quit was that she could not see, and when she couldn't see, she had no hope of ever getting anywhere. 
she, I mean, she felt like she was swimming in circles. And so that was the situation, and that's why she lost all hope and decided to, to wait or get out of that race. Um, the last two or three years, I don't know about you, but they have not been my favorite. Not at all. I mean, if you give me a list of all the years and I had to pick my favorites, they'd be at the bottom way, way, way. Um, and I, you know, a lot of people feel that way. I totally get that. Um, and so as I was thinking about this year, we're starting out a brand new year. Uh, I look into it and I'm thinking, boy, I hope I don't have any more of the medical stuff and the COVID and the political and economic upheaval that we've been watching. Lord, I just don't want to see any of that. And yet the reality is we don't know what we're going to see, but we know who God is. And we know what he can do. And so that's kind of what I wanted to look at this morning together with you. Uh, it's like the old song, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I, <clears throat> I want to help us to do that a little bit this morning by giving us some suggestions of how we can see what's going on and look into the future um, with that kind of an attitude of turning our eyes to the Lord. So in, the, in 1 Timothy six thirteen through 16, I want to look at this passage first together. Now, in verse 11, Paul had told Timothy, I want you to run from evil. I want you to pursue a godly life or a Christ-like life. And in verse 12, he said, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. Okay? And then he said, in the sight of God who gives life to everything. So he said, I want you to run the, from evil, pursue godly life, fight the good fight of faith. And in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus. And he talks about some other things, and he says, I charge you, or I challenge you. What does he challenge him to do? To keep this command. So as you're looking at the verses, he's saying, I challenge you to keep this command, which command to run from evil and to pursue godliness and to fight the good fight of faith. That, that's the challenge that he's charging him with. And he's like, I command you um, with the, to keep this without spot or blemish until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, you've got one goal, Timothy, and that is to represent Christ. You need to pursue him. I want you to run that, run from evil, pursue godliness, and fight the good fight of faith. And now you need to just do that until the Lord himself comes back. And he says, the appearing of our Lord Jesus, which God will bring about in his own time. And so he's saying, Timothy, I can't tell you the day, the date, the hour. I can't tell you anything other than that. There's a promise that he's going to return, and it's going to be in God's timing. Um, and God will bring it about in his own time. The blessed and only ruler, he is the king of kings, the lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. And then he finishes up this little section of his letter to Timothy, and he says, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And this, again, devotionally, there's so many things there that would challenge us, but I just want to look at these really quickly, what we learn about God from this passage here. And go ahead and put that up there if you would. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. What we learn about God. First of all, God gives life to everything. He is the source. He's the creator. He is the sustainer. And he is the one that makes sure everything exists. Without God, none of what we see or experience would, would be true. 
He is the one who gives life. He's the creator and the sustainer. Secondly, Jesus will return in God's time. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been around long enough to hear all of the predictions along the way, which, by the way, none happened so far. But my favorite was 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 88. It, and I had the booklet, and somewhere in all my travels I lost it, which is, I, I find that really hard, because it, it was a great resource. <laughs> Uh, and I remember, I remember at the time it was, it was in the Christian media and interviewed the guy on Christian radio. And I, I, I had the book and I just thought, man, this is crazy. This, this is just, this isn't, if it was going to happen, it isn't now. <laughs> and I'm just kidding about that. But the reality is it's in God's time, in God's time. Then God is the only ruler, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I'm saying that this morning. And fit in so beautifully with these verses. And then the last thing, we know that he is immortal and uh, deserves all of our honor and all of our praise. Um, the old song really says it well, doesn't it? Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. We haven't done this for a while, so let's just sing this verse. Okay. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty. Even though at times it may seem like things are out of control. Maybe you've had a few days like that this year. Or maybe you feel like every battle that you've been in, somehow, just, it just didn't go well. Or maybe you have the sense that even Christianity is, is not making much of a difference. You know, the Bible makes it really clear. God still reigns. He is still King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, why does it seem at times like he doesn't reign or that he is not working, at least in places that we think he should? Why doesn't he just get on with it and come? I, I think I've prayed that come, Lord Jesus, so many times. Second um, Peter 3.9 tells us why. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to come and take us all home. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the reality. When uh, the time is, is exactly right and all the people have been gathered in, at that point in time, then the Lord will come. And he will judge evil. Uh, and uh, until that time, we wait and we pray and we continue to share because there are those out there who still aren't part of the family. And our job is to help grow the family so that they can understand and see the reality of Christ, who he is and what he's done. So God will judge evil in his time. But until then, 
We are called to patiently serve and continue to worship and serve him. So one of the reasons we don't give up, one reason we don't lose all hope, is God is still king. He's still king. Second reason comes in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait. (laughs) There's that old thing again here. Okay, we're still here. We're still waiting. We're still praying and hoping. But look, the whole idea of God's grace and God's grace that brings his salvation and it's available to anyone and everyone. It's available to all men. And, and God's grace is, is working in our hearts when we believe on him and receive him as Savior. I mean, he does his work in us, and his grace is continuing to work in us. And, and we begin to grow, and, and we begin to say no to the worldly passions. And we seek to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Why? Because it's a rule? No, but because we love the Lord, and we want to follow and serve him. And that's one of the ways we do that. Meanwhile, while we wait... For the blessed hope, verse 13, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, while we're waiting for that, we just continue to serve and do the things we're called to do. The great God and Savior Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. And one of those devotional questions comes to mind immediately there for me. Okay, so I've been redeemed, and and I've been redeemed from all wickedness, and God wants to do his purifying work in me, that, that ongoing sanctification. I need to constantly remember that I am his, I'm his very own. And that one of the reasons I am his very own is that I'm supposed to be eager to do what is good, including sharing this amazing story, this amazing message with those who who don't know the Lord. So Jesus died to pay the ransom so that he could purify us for himself. He wanted to have a people that were set apart, unique, a people that were his very own. And so again, think about that. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved, you are his very own. You're his son, you're his daughter. And, and that's one of those things that should grab a hold of us and just help us to think, even in difficult times, I belong to him. I belong to him. And, and this is not something that you're not aware of, but just to thinking it through, the church is what? A building, a structure, an organization? No. Uh, Sarah, if you put that up there, church is a gathering of believers. A gathering of believers. That's why there are churches all over the place. Some of them meet under a tree. Some of them meet in a small apartment. But there are churches, gatherings of believers, all over the world. And even in some of the tightest, most difficult and closed countries, there are believers, there are churches in those places. So how do we know that the church is precious? Because that's, that's kind of what I want us to, to see in all of this. How do we know the church is precious? Well, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ died for us. That's how we know 
that we're precious and we are the church. So just to kind of wrap that up a little bit, Jesus gave himself to redeem us from wickedness. So that was what he did. He came, he died, and he paid the ransom price so that we could be set free. So Jesus redeemed us from all wickedness. He paid that price, and he set us free once and for all. Jesus gave himself to purify us. So he gave us to redeem us, purchase us, save us, but then to continue that process of working in us, making us more and more and more like his son. That's how he's working. And, and he, he wants to purify a people of his own, that's us, who are eager to do what is good. And again, ask yourself the question, am I eager to do what is good? Because that's one of the things that the Lord wants to see in me and in all of us. Now, the whole idea of the church being precious, let me just give you an, an illustration of a, that from my own life that uh, kind of brought that home for me. Uh, when I was in high school, I used to play basketball, and uh, my mom and dad would go to all the games. My dad would go to all the away games. And uh, one game we were at was a, was a big rival. It was a big, big school, um, several thousand people at the game. And, and, and we're playing, and this was a tight game, and this went down to the last, I think it was a free throw that we won it with. And all of a sudden, the fans emptied onto the court. I mean, we're talking lots of people. They had to call the police, and, and, but before they got there, I mean, it's looking pretty tense for some of us that are out there. And I remember <clears throat> looking up at all this crowd of people that were really, really angry and watching my dad kind of elbow his way through, you know, pushing and pushing and shoving and shoving. And what was he doing? He wanted to be by me. He got there. <clears throat> he got there and stood with me until everything was taken care of. Why did he do that? I was precious to him. So one of the reasons we don't give up, one reason we have hope, is the church is still precious. So we don't give up because God is still king, the church is still precious, and let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We, we still have a mission that's very clear. In Matthew 28, you remember the Lord called his disciples together before he ascended into heaven, and he says, I'm going to give you this command. I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and I want you to baptize them, and then I want you to teach them all that they need to know to be able to walk in this life the way they're supposed to. And I promise, no matter where you go, as you're doing this, I will be with you. You won't go alone. You may go into the darkest places. You may go into places that the gospel's never been before, but that's okay. I'm with you, and I will be all that you need. And by the way, that command has yet to be revoked or replaced. That's still in place. But I wanted to look at that same kind of idea from the book of Second Corinthians uh, starting in verse 17. And Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And again, one of those devotional thoughts for me is, he made me new. Yeah, he didn't just patch up the mess that was there. I'm brand new in Christ. Uh, I love that thought. It's new creation, old is gone, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that whole idea of reconciliation is you have two parties who, who have a, no relationship at all. Something's gone wrong. Uh, in our case, it's that we were born uh, under the sin of Adam, and so we are born with a sin nature, and God is holy and pure. So there's a, a break in the relationships that's there. And because we are under condemnation, we need to be we need to be saved to be out from under that condemnation. That's what John 3, 17 tells us. And so we don't have to be condemned. We can receive the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he died for us, and then we pass from death to life, and we are no longer under condemnation. We have been reconciled with God. And Paul is saying, if anyone is a new creation, you know, the new has come, the old is gone. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself. How? Through Christ. Christ came and he died and he paid the price so that we could be reconciled. And then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's all of us, all believers. We have a ministry, and that ministry is to help others see they can be reconciled with God if that's what they choose to do. Yes, they can say no. God gives them the privilege of saying, no, I don't want this. But it's our responsibility as whenever we can, with people that we can, to say and encourage, listen, come, be reconciled to God. He did all of the changing and all the work. You have to believe. That's it. And so this is one of those things, one of those passages that we look at. Um, he, <clears throat> he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, what are we? Christ's ambassadors. We are representatives of God in a foreign land. Home is when we're with the Lord. In the meantime, we're here, and we are representatives of the Lord. We are his ambassadors here, and our message is still the same. It's a message of reconciliation, where we ask and encourage and challenge and call people to be reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ. And then I love verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, he was sinless, to be sin for us, or if you will, to be a sin offering, to be the very last sacrifice of atonement that would ever be needed. All those years where they offered the sacrifice of atonement, they were done, they're over, because Jesus came as the perfect Lamb of God, offered himself as the last sacrifice of atonement. So we all come to God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. So God made him to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are made right with God, and we are no longer under condemnation. So these verses tell us who we are and tell us what we are called to do. Uh, you know, we're a new creation. We have a ministry of reconciliation, which is the whole idea of restoring harmony with God. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent him here on this earth. And our job is to implore people, to beg them, to show them, to encourage them to turn to Christ. So just look at the who we are and, and the what we are called to do quickly. Who we are? New creation in Christ. That's who we are. Uh, the moment of salvation, we're purified and we are made brand new. It's, it's just, it's a miracle of God. What are we called to do? Well, be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are called to represent him in a foreign land. That's us. That's us. That's what we're called to do. So we have a mission, and it's clear. 
And we must grow in Christ and then help others to come to know Christ and, and be able to grow in Christ as well. Now, I, I love reading of missions in different places and what has happened. Um, and this, this is a story that takes place in Zaire, or took place in Zaire, uh, that people's names, uh, Judy Anderson was the person who, uh, who, who's telling the story. Um, and she, she grew up as a missionary kid in Zaire, and uh, I was still serving there when this story was written. Um, at the 100th anniversary of missionaries coming to that particular part of Zaire, a small part of Zaire where the mission her parents worked with, they had a huge all-day celebration. A uh, celebration where they, you know, they, they praised God for His work, and they sang and worshipped and did all kinds of And there were recognition of things that had been done in the past, and, and you name it. I mean, this was a huge celebration. And at one point towards the end of the day, a, a very, very old man came and said, I need to be allowed to speak. And, of course, they asked him why, and he said, well, he says, I've got some information that nobody knows anymore, and if I don't share this, it will never be known. And so they asked him to go ahead and, and, and speak. And, and, and he told the story. He was uh, a bit removed from when it actually all happened. But a hundred years earlier, when missionaries first came, he said his people watched the missionaries and saw them, and they were learning the language and all those kinds of things, and they heard the gospel eventually. And so they watched these people, and they, they thought they were really strange, and they thought the message was really crazy. But they kept watching. And at one point, the leaders of that people group decided that they were going to test these missionaries to see if they were real, if what they were saying was really true. And so, over a period of time, they poisoned various ones. And missionaries never knew um, someone would die, and, and they just had no idea why that was. This wasn't in a time when you could jump in an MAF plane and get to a hospital. These were times when that was not even available. And so down through the years, many, many, many missionaries died. And <clears throat> this is what the man said. It was as we watched how they died that we decided we wanted to live as Christians. And that changed. I mean, the whole tribe. It's one of those situations where a whole group of people suddenly become believers as a result of what had been happening. Nobody knew. All kinds of missionaries and kids died and never knew why. They were preparing the way. And the Lord used them as ambassadors in a whole different way than he normally does, and yet that's how the message got through when they saw that these people actually believed what they said and they lived what they said in the face of their own deaths. So why didn't they give up? Why didn't they lose hope? Well, they had a clear mission, those missionaries. They said, hey, we're here. And until God calls us home, we continue to do what we're supposed to do and we carry on. So we don't give up. Because we have a mission, and we have a message, and it is a message of hope. Why don't we give up or lose hope? Because God is still king, the church is still precious, and our mission is still clear. 1 Peter 2.11 gives us another aspect of all of this. He says, 
<clears throat> Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. I, I, I love that. You know, you are not of this world. You're here temporarily. And I think sometimes, I know sometimes I forget that. Um, so we're aliens and strangers were to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. When we give in to those sinful things, it is a war that's taken place against us. Not that we're going to lose our salvation or anything, but that our, it's being harder and harder to live the way God calls us to because we're giving in to these sinful things. And he goes on to say, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits or on the day that God calls them is the kind of thought that's there. So we're supposed to live lives that, that, are, that show the goodness of God and in some way also reflects that it is because of him that we're doing the things that we do. Um, I love this uh, paraphrase, the message put verse 11 this way. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Don't give in to stuff because that's going to harm your walk with God. Um, we are aliens. We're living in a foreign country. We are strangers. We have temporary residency here. Um, that, that's a concept that, that we sometimes don't grab a hold of unless we've actually traveled somewhere or lived somewhere where you are uh, totally not. You just don't belong that much there. Peter commands us to a couple things here. One is abstain from sinful desires. Keep away from it. Don't let sin run wild in your life. Why? Because those sinful desires wage war against our souls and make it harder for us to walk the way we're supposed to. Now, as aliens, we know that we don't belong here. Um, we should be longing to be at home with the Lord. And, and, and there's a tension there, I get that, because we're still here. We're still living. We still have our, our home and our job and all those other things. And we're supposed to honor God in, in all of those too. And yet, on the other side of it, we're supposed to be saying, oh, Lord, this isn't, all, this isn't everything. I, I just can't wait to be with you. And, and, and again, those things are, there's a, a balancing act that goes on with those two clashing things in our, in our lives. And I, I remember when Carol and I went to Bolivia, we had, um, we had prayed about it, and we'd gone through some training, and we went down. And our dream, our goal was to be part of the culture and to live there and to work there and, and just become as Bolivian as we possibly could be. Eh, it didn't work. <laughs> I'm five feet taller than most of the Bolivians, so that was real hard for me to just kind of... Now, did we enter in and learn Spanish and learn a lot about the culture? Absolutely, we did. And we loved the people, and they loved us, and we loved the ministry we were involved in. But every day I went down to get on the bus, and I remember, I'm an alien here. Why? Because I'd get up, and I couldn't go anywhere in the bus but the doorway. Because if I stood in the aisle and wanted to hold the, the thing that was up there high, well, on their buses, it was right here. And I'd be standing there like this. And that was a reminder, well, the bus wasn't made for me. Um, there are other things like that that just constantly reminded us that we were aliens here. Yeah, this was our home. These were our people. But it wasn't what we were used to. And it wasn't what things were like when we were back home. In our world, every time we see something disturbing on the news, every time we see something that makes us want to scream because it feels like everything's out of control, every time we're tempted to give up and think there's no hope, and I have been there, you probably have too, 
When that happens, we need to remember that this world is not our home. This isn't our eternity. This is just where we're kind of in temporary holding, representing the Lord in a foreign land before he calls us home. Uh, We're supposed to learn to grow and walk in Christ here. We're supposed to encourage others to become citizens of heaven here. And we eagerly wait for our trip home. You ever been with someone who was at the end of end of their life? I'm thinking of my grandmother and a couple others who'd lived long, long, long lives serving and honoring the Lord. They were just waiting, waiting for the Lord to call them home. They were, just couldn't wait. Now, the rest of us were saddened, but they were thrilled. This was coming and they knew it. Now, Hebrews... 13.5 just kind of keeps us in mind because there's, there's a danger of getting out of balance. We're supposed to be wise and plan and save for the future, but if we get, out of twist, get twisted up in that, we can begin pursuing wealth and, and pleasure in, in ways that, that are not good for us. Hebrews 13.5 reminds us, keep your life free from the love of money. And one good reason is this isn't your home. Yeah, you need money to live and you need to save and all that, absolutely. But never forget... This is not your home. Be satisfied with what you have. Oh, that one's hard, isn't it? It is for me. So many times I'm looking at something, you know, if I could just do this, and, and, and it's not something that's necessary, but I kind of like to, you know, make the deck bigger or like to. And I'm not saying that's wrong. There's, there's balances there. That's a great statement. Be satisfied with what you have. Why? For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. So you don't get all the fancy stuff you wanted. That's all right, I'm with you. I'll never abandon you. Um, no matter what we're going through, we are aliens, we're strangers. No matter what happens, we can choose to be content and satisfied with what we have or not. That's, that's our choice. Now, why can we do that? Because he's promised he's going to be with us. And so if we're making a deliberate choice to say, okay, we're, we're not going to pursue this particular thing or whatever it is, because we really think that at this point maybe we just don't need to do that. We say, okay, Lord, help us with this process of working through this situation. That old song is kind of fun, and I love to play it in the guitar and just sing it, but the the point is, is quite good. The world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere else from here, somewhere beyond the blue. So we don't lose hope or give up because our destiny is still heaven. So we don't give up. We don't lose heart because God is still king. The church is still precious. Our mission is clear, and our destiny is still heaven. And the last one comes from Romans 8, 31. And, and verse 31 is a response to the fact that God works all things together for our good. And, and, and so in spite, and because of that, he says, what then shall we say in response to this, that God works everything out for good? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who will, is he that condemns? Well, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love 
of Christ. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of sword? No, that can't separate us. As a matter of fact, let's just look at these questions very quickly. <clears throat> Go ahead and there. Thank you, sir. Uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer that's expected is absolutely no one. You've got God, the creator, sustainer of everything on your side. If someone's against us, it just doesn't matter. We've got God. Um, he gave us uh, his son. He gave his son for us. And, and then the question is, how will he not also give us everything else? If he gave the life of his son to redeem us and ransom us, how can we think that somehow he's not going to give us what we need in our lives to be able to live the life he wants us to live? That's guaranteed because he already gave us the very best thing, and that was his son. Then who can accuse us? Can anyone come and say, oh, you, you've done these horrible things. And, and, and on one level, sure, people could do that. But if someone tried to accuse us before God, God would say, no, that's not happening. Mark belongs to me. And I know his heart. And I've got him. And I'm interceding. And, and Christ is interceding for him. Who can separate us from the love of God? No one, nobody, nothing. That's what he meant when he said trouble, hardship, persecution, fame, and nakedness, danger, of sword, nothing, none of those things can separate us from God. They can usher us out of this life into the next. That's a possibility. But that doesn't separate us from God. When we pass away and pass into the presence of God, that's, that is not being separated from God. That's being united in the way we've longed for all of our lives. He goes on in verse 37. Can any of these things separate us from the love of God? He says, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're in Christ, and he's conquered all these things. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. So everything's covered in the statements that Paul makes here. None of those things can touch us. None of those things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I mean, the list of things that can't separate us from him, are death, life, angels, demons, present, future, any powers, height, depth, or anything else, none of that can separate us from the love of God. Is there anything not covered? Is there anything that is a loophole? No. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And it may seem like we have a long, drawn-out battle now, but the victory is certain. It is secure. So we don't ever give up. We don't ever lose hope because our victory in Christ is certain. He said that very clearly. So as we go into 2023, we don't give up. Or lose hope because God is still king. The church is still precious. Our mission is clear. Our destiny is heaven. And our victory is certain. So we can turn our eyes on Jesus. We can follow him. Because with him there's always hope. I'm going to have Daniel come and lead us in this song. Let me just read a couple of the verses. This is, uh, this is where I want to be in 2023. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light 
in the darkness you see, there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And then in the last verse, his word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Daniel, I'm going to pray while he comes. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the power in your word. Thank you that we can know that you are in control and that there's always hope because of you and because of your word. We thank you and praise you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.